Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Taking Stock. I'm Anal Stocker. I founded uh, Market Finance back in 2011. Uh, and one of the highlights of um, my job is uh, meeting with entrepreneurs, meeting with interesting partners and people along the way and hearing their stories. Uh, and today, I am very happy to uh, be talking to Gary Turner, who is the co-founder and managing director of Zero here in the UK. Zero is the uh, now well-known accountancy software for small businesses here in the UK. And I met Gary early on in my journey when I started uh, the company. Um, he's been a great mentor and he's given great words of advice and encouragement along the way. I, I see him at least once a year at the uh, ZeroCon event, the big, um, big show that Zero puts on. Uh, for accountants across the country uh, and a big highlight for me was back in 2018 when I got onto the main stage and spoke in front of 3,000 people. I think that was the biggest audience I've ever spoken at and, uh, and it was a little bit terrifying but, but pretty exhilarating at the same time. Um, and so Gary, you know, really, really happy to have you here and thanks for taking time to be on the show. Well, thank you very much for the invitation. Um, and uh, yeah, I've, I've loved watching you guys growing. I mean, it must be about eight, nine years now since you, you first got going in. So, and we've all been growing. You know what I mean? Like back in 2011, 2012, we were all relatively very early on. And so it's great bouncing ideas off each other and, and, and supporting each other mutually. So um, love working with you and your team and thank you for the invitation today. Excellent. And uh, you know, a stat that really resonates is when you joined zero back in 2009 your revenue was 50,000 pounds a year and now it's something like 90 million so you know if there's ever a good person to talk about scaling and building a company and and the issues facing small businesses we've got the man today uh, on the show so before we get into that uh, you know I have to start a little bit with a stepping back and 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 thinking we're living through pretty crazy times you know uh, uh, COVID lockdown. I think we've been at home for over two and a half months now, coming up to three months. And in the last week, uh, obviously, a lot of fellow entrepreneurs and company. I know a lot of companies are spending a lot of time talking about issues like inequality and diversity and and zero tolerance to racism in in whatever form. Um, so, so Gary, how are you handling that? The, the events of the last few weeks internally at Zero. You, you're a big team now in the UK and must be very diverse. So, you know, what's happening internally and what, what have you said and what's happening in the company on this? So, so it's, it's unavoidable as, a, as, a, as an issue. I mean, I, I think it affects everybody despite the fact it's, it's happening in North America and it's like an ocean away. It's really close to home uh, because we all um, are affected by that. And we all recognize that wherever you go, um, diversity, um, Either, either unspoken or, 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 or like explicit racism or prejudice or the, the, the lack of recognition of how important that is as we're all building our societies and building our businesses. And so I think it's incredibly important to talk about it. We talk, we've been talking about it internally. We, have, we, we use Slack and a number of other mechanisms to kind of bring our people together and particularly in a lockdown context, these are really important. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm doing an AMA and ask me anything with my team next week. And that's going to be one of the areas that I know that we've been getting lots of questions. So we're, we're, 
what are we doing? Where, where do we sit on that um, spectrum uh, of opinion and what are we doing about it? And we, we, we already uh, took our responsibilities around diversity and inclusion uh, seriously. Uh, we, we have a diversity and inclusion team. We have activities, we have policies. We're, we're trying to not only reflect the best um, uh, the best uh, kind of behaviours when it comes to diversity and respecting the difference in the makeup of our people and our workforce, our management team and our board. And we report on that um, as, as a public company also. But I, I think what's happened in the last week has really just shone a light on how much ground there still is to travel there. I guess there's a viewpoint that, that should companies be getting into expressing opinions about what's happening um, in, in the US right now, and, and there might be a lobby that says that they shouldn't, but I, I, I strenuously believe that, that we should be. I, I think if, if to nobody else, to our own people, our own people are looking for comfort and looking for guidance and looking for reassurance that, that we are, we're embodying the right culture and the right behaviors there. And so, um, but yeah, it's tough. This is, 2020 is, is a, a, a year I think we'll be glad to see the back of in many ways. It, it, every week there seems to be something else that's challenging. But yeah, the, 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 um, the events of the last week with George Floyd and, and, and the resulting kind of uproar around that is, is um, something that's hard to not, not comment on and hard not to reflect on. What, I don't, what about you? I know, I know that you guys have been talking really, about it also. Really interesting. It's, uh, you, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's a lot, it's, it's very nuanced and um, it's very difficult sometimes to um, show that you care, um, but you also want, you know, there, you also want to create a safe environment, right? That yeah. people don't feel um, like, you know, pressurized in some way. Um, but I agree with you, you know, that I think that for me, it's very important for me personally to say what I feel, but also what the company yeah. feels. I think we, uh, you know, restating our commitments to diversity, you know, zero tolerance to discrimination and, and, and highlighting the inequalities that still exist globally. It's not just in the U.S., globally, in this country as well. Uh, I feel it's our duty to do that. So, I, you know, I have chosen not to stay silent. And I, I think as a company, we will we'll continue to do that. Um, but, I, you know, the point on diversity, you know, I think we all have to work harder at it. I think we're not exactly where we want to be. I think that's been a criticism of tech, uh, tech companies um, that, you know, there's still, there are big uh, discrepancies and, you know, ratios are not, not what you would like them to be. And just if you look at gender as a simple one, uh, even at our company. So, and I know that you have, you have some personal kind of uh, things that you do to, to, to help with that. One of the, one of the things at ZeroCon, um, uh, this event that you put on is, you're trying to get 50-50 uh, panelists, uh, male-female panelists, and can maybe maybe just do you want to touch on that a little bit? Yeah, I think Jim. I mean, so like talking about what's happening is, is is important, but ultimately it's just words, and we're measured by our actions more. I mean, it's what we do, not what we say. Um, and, and and as a measure of like the conversation we have in, in zero with our people about diversity. And, and recognition that there's a long way to go, right? I mean, we are, we are uh, we, we're still not the most diverse business and certainly not the, the, we don't represent the diversity that we aspire to. And, it, and everybody's on a journey. 
but there's a real conviction and, and dedication to, to getting there. And so we, we kind of uh, articulate that in, in a number of ways. We, we want to respect both ethnic and gender diversity as, as, as fairly as possible on, on our public events and so a lot of our kind of media assets that we're creating, but particularly as you're talking about with ZeroCon. Um, and, and you know what, I like that 10 years ago, I would have been invited to go and speak on a panel and, and, and I wouldn't have batted an eyelid if I was like one of five men on a panel. Um, but now today, and, and the kind of awakening for me on that is that's completely unacceptable. And, and, and we shouldn't be surprised that the technology industry or any industry doesn't change and doesn't embrace diversity if we keep underwriting the old conventions and the old kind of um, uh, the, 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 the kind of unconscious bias and the unconscious prejudices that we sometimes have. And so we, 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 we strive to have uh, fair representation across all ethnic and gender minorities on ZeroCon. Um, uh, if I'm invited to speak to somebody else's uh, event, um, I, I, I get fed up going to like dinners in the evening, talking about AI and talking about machine learning. And then I get there and I'm like in a room full of like men uh, and, and often white men, you know what I mean? And, and I'm thinking, I'm gonna, I've done it again. I'm, kind of, I'm sustaining this dysfunctional kind of uh, world that we're in. And so now when I get invited to things, I, I, um, I ask what, what, what is the diversity um, um, agenda for this? And what is the representation? Because, and I, I, I declined when somebody invited me, I think it was uh, late last year, somebody invited me to be, be in a panel. Um, and, uh, and I looked at who the other panelists were and there wasn't enough diversity. And so I declined it and I explained to the person that was inviting me that, that I, I won't go, but you should find a woman. Fortunately, they, they found a woman to replace me. And so, oh, wow. um, uh, and, and that sounds kind of trivial and it sounds like a bit, maybe kind of a, a bit bleeding hard of me to do that stuff. But I think it starts with me. If I've got, a, if I've got any influence as the leader in our business, as well as somebody who's a, in, in, in the world of business, then I think that I had a huge tailwind being male, uh, being Caucasian in, in an environment where that was an inherent advantage, an inherent tailwind. And, and, and if I've benefited from that in my career, then the least I should be doing is trying to um, create a platform and trying to help other minorities level up. Um, and um, we, But we've still got a long way to go. But I, I think the events of the last week have just shone a light on how, how important that is. Absolutely, absolutely. It's really that's really it's really interesting and refreshing to see, see that approach. I think not. I haven't come across many people who turned down invites um, based on that. So absolutely, you're starting from 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 yourself and trying to lead by example on that, which is great. Let's let's turn to the other um, big big thing happening in 2020: uh, COVID 19, uh, the lockdown. Now, your you know your basic business, and I'm simplifying this, of course, is you're selling software uh, to small businesses and that helps them run their business. Uh, you, you sort out all their accountancy, um, all, all the things they need to, to, to do their books and, 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 and file their accounts and, and more now. So what, what's happened over the last few months? I mean, has, that, has there been any impact on your business? I mean, on some, on some level, people still need to do their books, right? No matter what the numbers are, the numbers are going up or down. Um, but how are you seeing that for your customers at, first and then we'll come to your how you're dealing it with your company second. yeah i think um i mean so there, there, i can't imagine any business hasn't been affected by by covid 
um, in, in some way. Uh, and clearly some industry way more, I mean, so like hospitality and uh, retail massively more impacted than maybe professional services companies where there's more flexibility in where you work. Um, I mean, so, 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 so COVID came along, we, we kind of went into lockdown about a week, week and a half before the government kind of mandated the lockdown. Um, and, and we were already predisposed to working flexibly anyway. And so we're a kind of cloud generation business. And so we don't have file servers and we don't have like data in, 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 in on hard disks in, inside of buildings that we need to be close to to use. And so we were already working flexibly, even, even in our customer experience, customer support teams, where you'd think you'd need to be kind of anchored to a desk or to some customer center, a customer experience center. I mean, our, our customer service and our, even our, our inside sales teams have been able to work from home pre-COVID. Pre so our priority to begin with was clearly managing the transition of our people, making sure that our people were okay and they were safe and we were accommodating them, but very quickly then turned to what do, what do we need to do for our customers? Um, and, uh, and, and, and so we did a number of things. We kind of reprioritized our development um, efforts. And so there were some things that we were working on that were going to be landing later in the year or next year that we brought forward. So we launched um, a new kind of simple 30-day cash flow um, view. Uh, we've created this new kind of business snapshot, which gives you a kind of dashboard of a whole bunch of other metrics and, in, and important data points and, and, and health factors about how your business is doing that we think is particularly helpful in a COVID environment. Um, we also, we, we had to move quickly to support like the, the, the government's uh, business interruption loan scheme yeah. and furlough schemes. And, and so we've been working with some banks to help fast track C-bills applications. So that if you're on zero and you work with, with one, of, one of the banks that we were dealing with, then the bank can kind of process your data more quickly. And the kind of things that we've been doing with, with market finance for years uh, become even more important in a COVID environment. Uh, and then the furlough scheme. And so we, we, did, we, we did a lot of work in product and product innovation. We then also built, uh, as everybody's done, a kind of like hub or help center for our customers, um, where we've been um, putting up either guides and instructional kind of content and, and, um, and also live webcast. So we've been servicing thousands and thousands of customers just on education because there has been a whole lot of help that's come from the government, but it's like, where do you start? And so helping our customers navigate that. Um, and so a lot of online education, a lot of reprioritization of what we've been building in the product. Um, and and we've, we've had some good feedback that some of that stuff is really helpful and is landing. Um, and, and continuing to think about how, how best do we support our customers in terms of software innovation, as well as the support and services. Uh, yeah. we, we are, we are, I'd like to think that most of our customers would see zero not as a discretionary line item um, in their business and, and zero that means only like 20, 24 pounds a month. It's not exactly a massive cost either, but an essential um, aspect of how you run and, and manage your finances and business. And so, um, but, it, but it has been, I mean, it has been incredibly tough for so many sectors as well. We've seen that. Yeah. And you must, you, you I thought, you know, you've recently improved your data science and your, your data warehousing. So you must be able to see quite a lot of interesting things in real time. You know, if you're for the furlough scheme, you know, you must be able to see people have to account for that in their. In their yeah. 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 We're, we're just, and, and, and I mean, some of the things that we were already doing, so we're already um, 
publishing kind of high level business health metrics. So we look at a whole lot of anonymized platform data. So like, like number of invoices in a day and the average payment terms on those invoices and how many of our customers at any one point in time in a month are cash flow positive. And we've been publishing that data in a limited way for, for a couple of years. Uh, and, and we're kind of recutting some of that and we're going to be releasing um, some of that in, in the next couple of weeks, just about the measure of impact and, and, and which segments have been laying people off and which segments have been most affected by COVID from a financial impact. And obviously things like payments and settlement terms. And, and, and coincidentally, we, we reduced our own um, uh, payment terms to 10 days. So we, we're paying all of our all of our suppliers invoices in 10 days is our bit to try and kind of help with that whole cash flow thing. Um, and so, um, yeah, so I think in a couple of weeks, we'll, I think by the, by the midpoint of June, we'll have um, added to the data that we've got uh, the May, um, the May data. And so we'll, we'll be able to look at the kind of first three months of COVID and what that impact has been and then how's that shaking out um, and then looking at the, the impacts and trends, and, and we'll, we'll, be, we'll be sharing that with, with the wider public and, and, and possibly, I'm sure people in government might be interested to know that if the furlough scheme has had any impact, what does that look like? Yes. And of course, modelling, what does that mean if that rolls off in October? Are we delaying an impact or are we bridging to recovery? And, and, and if we can add any insight to that with the data that we, that we can uh, provide, then... With the greater good, then obviously we would do that. And, how, and what's your gut feel? How bad will this be? How bad is this going to be for small businesses? I mean, those, those are your customer base. So listen, I think um, it's, 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 it's difficult to be um, really specific about it, but, but the, the, the quantum is going to be significant. Um, and, and if you look at like what some of the government um, estimates are in GDP, um, you, you, you're hearing numbers of like minus 20%, 30% contraction in the economy in a quarter, which is uncharted territory. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't think anybody knows what that means. And when you're in a world where even the smartest economists on the planet would never have never have modeled that as an outcome, then, then all of a sudden nobody's an expert and everybody's an expert. And so I'm now a self-appointed expert on the economy um, and, and my gut feel, and from the anecdotes and from the conversations we're having with our, with our customers, is that I think, and, and from others, as, as I believe we will see a pretty, uh, uh, a pretty big bounce soon, because the retail's opening up shortly. There's a lot of money sitting in bank accounts that nobody's been spending. And there's a lot of stock in stores that need to get, needs to get moved and cash needs to get into the economy. And so I think we'll see a relative to the first quarter, a more buoyant second quarter. But, the, and, and from speaking with analysts and from speaking with people in, in, in the business more broadly, there, there must be some medium term infrastructure impact to the economy as well. And is it just gonna go back to normal in, in six months time? Because there will be, there already have been significant job cuts and redundancies across the economy. And then the, the, the second and third level knock-on effects of that. So if Rolls-Royce starts making lots and lots of people redundant, then the, then the supply chain that feeds Rolls-Royce is also going to have an impact and so on and so forth. And so I think we will see a short-term bounce over the summer, or at least our, it won't be quite so grim as it was in, in, the, in the first uh, quarter of the impact. But I think it, it feels like uh, we're up for some longer-term impact. 
uh, in the economy um, that will be more like a traditional recession but hoping that it's not like minus 30% for the next couple of years. But by the way, even if it goes from minus 30% contraction to minus 10% contraction, that's a 20% improvement and a quarter. And so nobody's ever experienced what it's like to be having the economy expand by, by 10, 10 or 20%. And so I think the short term is probably going to be a bit of a bonanza and people will feel good about being out and in retail again and in restaurants again. But I think that, that, that there must be at least a year or two years of longer term impact. Absolutely. It will be really interesting. Be interesting to see. And yeah, yeah. if you look back, it's only been, you know, it's been slow growth for many years, right? You know, GDP growth like in the UK, one, two percent, you know, very consistent. But these, so this, these swings, these massive swings and the, and the impact that has on supply chains and cash flow and how companies deal with those swings uh, will is, you know, it's a very, someone was saying, you know, you'll always remember when, if you were a CEO during this time, you know, during this time, you'll look back on it and think this was a, or a founder of a business or trying to start a business. You know, this is, this is a rough, rough waters for sure. And, and in terms of your, your own, uh, the, the zero team, are there, are there behaviors, ways of working? You know, a lot of people talking about work, future of the work place. Are there going to, can you already see permanent changes to your business? Um, I, I think so. You know, I think um, so. I'm not commuting anymore. Nobody's commuting, right? So literally, we follow about, have a shower, get the coffee on, and then you're at work, right? And, and so either that means we're having a longer lie-in or we're starting work earlier. And so I think we're just like we inherently certainly I'm I'm on I'm in meetings all day long, and I'm I'm I must be doing more. We must be doing more work collectively. And so I think we must be more productive than we believed we could be in a working from home environment. The couple of caveats there, everybody's working from home and it's different when the entire economy or the entire professional services industries are working from home versus you are working from home for a couple of days and all of your peers are in the office. But I think there's a definite reevaluation up the way of the merits of flexible working and working from home. And we're not going to lose that. And we were already reasonably flexible. Um, but, but for as long as I've been around, the, the, the work, like working from home is usually the, the cynically, comically, I'm working from home. There was always this faint quiff of, you're not really going to be that productive working from home. And I think of anything the last three or four months has completely annihilated that viewpoint, is that today's technology, video conferencing, collaborative tools mean that the, the workplace can be incredibly effective when it's digital and, and I think we're just going to accelerate down that down that route and I think um, we are already flexible I think we're going to be even more flexible that doesn't mean we're just going to we'll forget about offices I think we'll get the best of both worlds and I, I think working from home has won many more fans as a viable alternative to being in an office and I think people will question commuting they'll question uh, the, the virtue of being in a meeting room with a whole bunch of people. Um, and I think that's good. And I think that's healthy. I love the, the I love the um, uh, Aaron Levy, who's the CEO of Box, who are the online kind of productivity and storage company. Um, he tweeted, and this is like one of these things that we always knew this, right? We always, it's, it's a truism that's been hiding in plain sight. And, and it's not like rocket science or a, a revolutionary thought, but he, he tweeted something going into this which I thought was incredibly profound. And it's that pretty much you look at most businesses there, the, the business processes and their systems are traditionally 
are, at the core are quite traditional. You know, they're, they're people powered, they're traditional, they're, they're not digital. And, and many businesses would be um, traditional at the core and, and digital optionally around the edge. And so you might run a retail store and you've also got a Shopify front end, but actually it's kind of a part-time thing. And the main thing is your shop. Um, and, and, and Levy said that like going forwards, that's going to flip. You, 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 like you're going to be building, you'll be digital first. You, the core of your business and all your processes will be digital and therefore much more resilient to changes in the kind of environment in a way that people aren't. Uh, and, and, and traditional or analog on the edge where it's appropriate in your customer experience to have people where it's appropriate to have traditional interfaces with your business, those will move to the periphery where they're still effective and valuable, but the core of your business will be incredibly more resilient. Now that isn't a new idea or a new thought, but I think what COVID will do is bring that into sharp focus. And, and this digital first workplace or a digital first business model will, like everybody got that memo, in March, um, and that's not going to go away. Yes, that's absolutely right. I mean, I spoke to so many. I went to visit a lot of businesses, uh, and you know, sometimes you'd have the you'd have, especially if it's a business been around for a while, they might have employed like an intern. Like, oh, she's the website. You know, she's working on the website in her internship. That you know, it's kind of like this side project, usually with a young person um, who's very tech savvy, just doing it and. And now it's kind of like they've had to repivot the whole business. And you, you yeah. see it, in, in, you just go to, I mean, you see it in a restaurant. You used to sit in a restaurant and they, a, a delivery driver would come in, you know, every five minutes and, and take, and now you go, you know, now the restaurant is just shipping that out and there's nowhere for people to sit. So you can see that just walking down the high street, the shuttered high street, how that change is happening. Um, okay. No, that's really good. Any other, any other change? I mean, travel, or you, 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 obviously you were going, the head office is in New Zealand, uh, New Zealand and Australia, isn't it? So. You were traveling a lot. Is that business travel, is that gone for, for good? Yeah, I, so I, I think yeah, I've got a little counter on my phone. I think this is like day 81 or something of lockdown. Uh, and I haven't been, it's like, yeah, I haven't, I haven't been, I haven't left, apart from going to like supermarkets and things and doing my daily regulation, like walk around the village. Um, I haven't been home like continuously this long forever. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, and so there's this great social experiment that we're all part of, of like actually spending time with your, your family and your wife and your, and, and, and your kids and things like that. And, and I'm not on a plane. I would be on a plane doing a long haul flight every six, eight weeks or something like that. And so I'm not missing that. Um, and and that, that poses its own challenges because therefore in a global business, we're having to kind of rely on digital uh, ways of working and time zone challenges there's a, i've been on a few board meeting calls at 5 a.m which are, isn't much fun at all um i'll be on a call until 1 a.m this evening or tomorrow morning and so um but i'd much rather do that from home than than get jet lag and fly halfway around the world and so there's definitely been a change to my, my travel i'm hardly driving anywhere um uh, not flying anywhere, uh, and, and clearly nobody in zero is flying anywhere. So, I, and, and not spending money. So, uh, I, I think it, it, nobody's doing expense returns. <laughs> nobody's uh, late in filing their expense returns. Nobody's booking uh, long haul flights or hotels, um, and, and, and that will at some point come back on. But I'm not missing. Um, I'm not missing airport lounges. 
your uh, your carbon footprint is much reduced, but also your health is probably up from the lack of yeah, absolutely, in, uh, absolutely. They, they, that was, I was speaking to somebody the other day, and we were we had a, quite a long meeting, and it was one one of my colleagues, and she said she went out she went out for a walk, for a walk with her husband at seven a.m. round uh, Windsor Great Park, and then commenced at the meeting. And I thought, why? Why shouldn't I be doing that every day? Like, instead of being on a train or on the underground, I guess you're actually experiencing life and and, and mixing it with with business as well. And so, yeah, um, great, crazy year, crazy year, crazy year. Now, I wanted to turn a little bit towards obviously your story and and um, uh, you, you know joining Zero, which at the time was a very small, non-existent in the UK. You were at you were at Microsoft and had you know bigger software companies and. I guess talk us through a little bit what what made you take the plunge to to do this um, and 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 you know why did you agree to join something and effectively start a company from scratch here in the UK in the accounting space uh, when there was um, a massive, a massive uh, incumbent right there was a big incumbent in the form of Sage so what what, what did you like uh, so so um, I, I, I've been I've been in business software mostly in, in small business end of the world. For my entire career now, um, which I mean, it's like thirty years, so three decades. I started. Um, I kind of entered the world of work in the early nineties, and in those days, it was like MS DOS and Unix and Xenix and Novell, then Windows NT, and in ninety five, the internet happened. And I remember, so I, I remember the world of, of software before the internet was a thing. I remember being in a software business in nineteen ninety five. And, and how pumped we felt about adding an update to our, our product where you could record your customer's email address was like revolutionary thinking. You know what I mean? We were internet enabled all of a sudden. And then from the mid nineties, as we got further into this kind of first phase of the web um, and e-commerce and the whole dot-com bubble burst and everything else, um, I slowly, um, my enthusiasm for technology and, and I started off as a software developer and then moved into commercial roles. But I, my sense around 2000, 2001, just as we'd come out of Y2K and the dot-com bubble had burst and some of the hopes and some of the naive ambitions we had for the internet in the late 90s were not really kind of that valid. But there was something there, something fundamental about the internet applied in the right way would be completely transformational, not just for business, but for society. Um, and so I, 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 started, um, my, I started my own blog. So back, back in 2000, 2001, I started blogging about what, is the, what does the internet mean for business? How is it going to change? Spitballing and hypothesizing about how it might pan out. And, and then by day, I was in a traditional software business that was not really kind of embracing that. But I formed a view around the midpoint of the last decade, so 2000 and um, part of the second but last decade, so 2005, that this, this internet thing was going to be huge, was going to be so fundamental that it would completely turn the software industry as we knew it inside out. It would turn technology as we knew it inside out. Um, and so I, I went off um, to join Microsoft to help them with that endeavor and their ERP and CRM world. And I would, I'd had Microsoft in my kind of career bucket list from way back in the 90s. And so I was incredibly flattered and very fortunate to, to join Microsoft and to try and help 
articulate what that next drive was going to be. But that was around the time of the global financial crisis. And so I got to Microsoft just as the kind of shutters on innovation began to come down because nobody was spending any money and the, the GFC was huge. And so it kind of didn't really progress very quickly at Microsoft, but I knew it was going to happen somewhere. And I knew that the cloud and I knew that building software that ran on the internet was going to be the future. And so I was kind of treading water, waiting for the, the kind of engine to fire back up at Microsoft and, and got pinged, um, I think it was on LinkedIn, um, by, um, by, by Rod Drury and Hamish Edwards, who were the two Kiwi founders of Zero back in New Zealand, about 18 months, two years before so Zero. Started 2006, IPO'd in the stock exchange in New Zealand in 2007. And then by 2009, it, it was ready, like we want to go globally now and had raised a bunch more money. And they were looking for their first kind of UK um, management team member. Um, and, and when I had a look at Zero, and I, I spoke to Rod and spoke to Hamish, and then married that up with my expectation that the world was about to be completely turned inside out, it was the quickest, easiest decision I could have ever made. Um, and so I quit Microsoft. Um, I remember that people, everyone at Microsoft thought I was insane leaving one of the largest software companies in the world for one that nobody had ever heard of from New Zealand. And with all due respect to Kiwis, I don't think before Zero came along, I'd ever knowingly used software from New Zealand, not exactly a hotbed of global software uh, pioneer, uh, although that's changed now. Um, and uh, and, I, and I, couldn't, I couldn't get involved fast enough and, and always had... Um, my, 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 I felt when I, when I hooked up with Rod and, and, um, and joined, joined, that, joined that crew, it felt like I'd won first prize in a job competition. I felt I was able to kind of marry up the vision and so all the things I'd been blogging about for the, the years before and all of the ideas I'd had I'll finally bring it to, to, to fruition. I'd never done a startup before, so I was 40 then. I'm 51 now, so it's like 11 years later. So I'm going to have to do a startup. I've never done one of them before. And so it was the combination of a whole lot of things. And, and 11 years later, I still feel like I've won first prize in a job competition. I think it's, I love, I love um, the category we're in. I love the opportunity to change and reimagine business with technology. And, and every year that gets even bigger. So i um, feeling very fortunate. So how have you done so well? What's the secret then of your success to go from nothing to close to 100 million pounds in revenue and I've lost track of the number of customers you have over 500,000 I think right now customers over 600 um wow. as at the end of March yeah um 600,000 so and, and it's over 2 million globally now um uh, you know you gotta have a good product you have a good idea you've got to be able to execute and you, you the, the kind of in, the core ingredients at the beginning have to be there you have to have at least an opportunity that's untapped you have to have the vision and the ability to execute on that, you have to have the audacity and the ambition to go and raise lots and lots of money to make, to make it happen and really go for it. There's no point in like go hard or go home. And then once you have those ingredients, which are, are quite rare to find, then actually the other 95% of it is people. Um, and and, and uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a jack of all trades and master of none. And I, I'm very aware of what my personal limitations are. Uh, and, and what I'm what I what I'm good at and what I'm not so good at and there's many more things I'm not good at and and if I'm if I'm good at anything, it's been able to spot great people, um, and uh, and we've got a great story and a great inspirational kind of vision and, and story that hopefully is attractive to great people to come in, 
and, and so I, 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 if I'll take any, any credit for the last few years, it's been spotting great talent, uh, convincing them to join, and then getting out their way. Um, and, and, um, and very much um, operating as a, uh, this concept of servant leadership or being humble as a leader. It's not about, and, and I, 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 had, I think lots of people have this preconception that you have to have all the answers. You need to be the smartest guy in the room and you've just got to like get people to follow you. Um, and I don't think that's true. Tom Peters tweeted something uh, earlier in the week. This is like great leadership isn't about having all the answers. It's, it's, it's hiring the best people you can hire and then asking great questions of those people. And I think I identify a lot with that. I, I, I'm just curious. I'm just constantly, how can we do better? How can we fix this? How can we pivot? How can we elaborate? How can we extend? I don't know the answer to it. And I don't care whether I have the answer or whether the answer comes from, from anybody in the business. It's just in pursuit of the best answer, the best outcome. And I get a lot of pleasure from bringing smart people in, getting them aligned, getting them motivated, and then just asking questions and asking the right questions and then st and stepping back and, and, and letting them run. And, um, and, and I think that's been a huge part of success. And that's not just my team uh, uh, of the people that work with me in the leadership team. It's the whole company and, 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 and instilling that in your culture, instilling that in your values. It doesn't matter whether the, whether the, the, the right answer, the, the best idea comes from somebody who joined yesterday in our front of house facilities team or our uh, global head of strategy. It doesn't matter if it's the right answer, it's, it's the right strategy. That's the one that wins. And, and so I, I get a lot of fun just playing with smart people. That's, and that's, the, that's a really hard. I mean, what you've just said is actually very hard. It's something that I've had to learn. Uh, it's actually, when I talk to other founders as well, being like a founder there on day one where you have to do everything. You have to come up with the yeah. best answer. And, you know, it's very hard to change um, that, but you have to. Like, if you don't change it, it, it doesn't work. And, I, you know, I've learned, I've learned that the hard way myself um, uh, and, and trying, to think of, of, trying to think of everything. Right, trying to do everything and not actually relying on uh, the people around me to actually you know, come up with much, you know, come, come up with much better ideas. And there's many different ways to achieve, or to obtain and achieve your objective. There's not just one way that you think. You might think of one way, but there's not one way. Yeah, I'm very happy being the dumbest guy in the room. I, I often say that, I, I, and I don't mind coming up with really dumb ideas. You know, it's like, I believe I firmly believe you have a heart rate, for, and for some people, it's like one in ten ideas are good, or one in a hundred. I don't care, and you got to get through the really bad ones to get to the good ones. So, like, just get them out, and 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 um, and, and and don't be precious about that. Um, and that, and that's the thing as a leader that you you, you have to adapt to because you're right. When you do start, then you need to know everything, um, but but. Like you just know when to get out of the way and, and, and there's no point hiring great people and then telling them what to do. Why would you do that? It's insane. And, and actually it's too hard. Like, there are too many ideas that we need to work on. No, no, one, no one person's good enough. Um, and so I, I just love being surrounded by some of the smartest people in the country solving some of the biggest problems. And, 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 the, and the kind of outputs of that, so the, the, the kind of revenue growth and the customer growth are kind of like abstract secondary things. They're, they're important and they kind of bias the right to continue to do things. But the most pleasure I get, and the reason I'm still, I mean, I'm not artificially enthusiastic. I am 
legitimately enthusiastic about this and I've been doing it for 11 years and I probably shouldn't be, but, it, but, it, but it's to do with just how much fun we have creating and building stuff that makes a difference, helps our customers, helps businesses, hundreds of thousands of them, and, and, and be surrounded by smart people every day. And, and why wouldn't you be enthusiastic about that? And, but it is a challenge. Not everybody makes that jump. Yes, yes. And a lot of uh, final few questions really around this bit is, a lot of people start companies when they're big, uh, mean, big, what look like big competitors or big institutions incumbent. Has it been useful in some ways having a legacy, you know, a big legacy player in the market? Has that almost been an inspiring thing for your company to fight against? Uh, yeah, I think it has. Um, you've always got this kind of asymmetric kind of uh, viewpoint on things. Uh, and, and the, the Every every company has its day, but but there are very few companies that are enduring in in the same way for like de decades or centuries. You know what I mean? Um, and and so nothing's forever, and zero's not forever either. But the, the, hopefully we we have a long run at this. But having an incumbent, having a prevailing way of working, having the old way of working, and you have a completely new and novel approach to that that is not not only asymmetrically challenging but transformational in terms of the benefit and the efficiencies. Um, it, it is great to have something to kind of push against. Um, uh, I, and so I think, I think we've enjoyed that, um, how, kind of creating that contrast in the market and challenging expectations, challenging. I mean, this is accounting software. It shouldn't be exciting. You know, the stereotype, you get a barbecue and you, people ask what you do. And I usually just say, I'm in software. And I hope they think it's like rocket guidance for SpaceX or self-driving at Tesla. And they go, what kind of software? And I say, accounting software. And they quietly kind of move away to speak to someone else. And so accounting software doesn't have a great rap in terms of like, it's not the most vibrant category, but, but it's essential to all businesses. I mean, you, managing your finances is kind of important. Um, and, and it doesn't take much imagination to rethink what that experience could be and how much better it could be. And so coming in with a very fresh take on that and a, a, a pretty um, and a pretty dowdy marketplace with low expectations has been great. It's been great fun for us to be that new contrast, whether that's like, and you see that with Netflix and Spotify and lots of our new kind of digital alternatives today are radically different from what came before. And so I think that has been important for us too. Absolutely. And I guess final question then for you is um, where do you see zero going then? So uh, what's, what's the next uh, five years hold? And already I see, you know, there's been some movement, of course, we've spoken with your, you know, our teams have spoken about, about how zero is well placed to, to help businesses in, in a lot more than accounting. Um, so what are the kind of some of the highlights that we can look forward to from, from zero and I think, you know, I think uh, as successful as we have been, and we've been very, very fortunate that we have, we've had, we've enjoyed a lot of success. Um, I still have this really, really strong sense that it's still quite early on in this journey. You know what I mean? I think that although I've been in technology for 30 years and we're now at the current, like uh, most recent iteration of where the lot's coming together and converging, I happen to believe that this is now just the beginning of the real revolution and, and, the, and the first 30 years or the first 50 years of mainframes and everything was like the necessary preamble to 
the tickets to the game which is now starting. And so I think that as much as uh, we've, we've uh, been successful, I think there's a lot more ahead of us. And then, and then really broadening our horizons into what are the other ways that we can add, add value and help our customers? Whether that's giving them support through COVID and, and helping them navigate that, or helping them realize what their new digital kind of business model transformation opportunities are. And what part can we play in that? What part can we play in that? Partnering with, with uh, market finance or partnering with our other partners there. And so I, I'd like to think that um, the next five years or the next 10 years of Zero's life will be um, significantly bigger than the, than the last 12, 13 years of the company's existence. And that's not to diminish that uh, at all, but I think it's just beginning. And, and I think there are countless areas that we can help customers streamline their operations, um, save money, paying their bills, get paid more quickly, manage their cash flow, manage their employees, run their business, make the best decisions. And, and I think we've got both an obligation, a kind of moral obligation to do what we can to help because I'm incredibly passionate about helping small businesses. We're a small business economy and they're very well served. And if we can help with that, then we will. But I'd love to think that, that we, will, we will grow um, and, and the story of Zero in the next 10 years will be even more uh, successful than, than the first decade or so. Um, and and that, man, that will manifest its way itself in a number of different ways. And so just really... Yeah, still kind of excited, still really ambitious about what the future holds. And that, that idea that, 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 that I've kind of latched onto at the beginning of my career, that technology, the magic of software, transforming and changing business realities is, is, is even more important today in a COVID environment than it's ever been. And so we, we feel like a real sense of duty there to help with that. And so we, we're just going to keep, hopefully just keep growing. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, uh, Gary, for sharing some of those thank you. thoughts and insights. And uh, we're going to look out for that. You mentioned that data coming out soon. Um, yes. It's going to be on the website. So we'll look, we'll look out for that and maybe and help, help kind of showcase it around our communities and, and, and our, our customers as well. Um, and lots of ways, um, of course, I'm looking forward to collaborating as well in, in the future. And um, yeah, this intersection of what you're doing and what, and what uh, FinTech is doing is, is very exciting. So, so thank you um, again, and um, thanks for coming on the show, and, and look forward to keeping in touch. Thanks, Anna. Take care.